Good afternoon and welcome to Successfully Leading Application Portfolio Rationalization Initiatives, the Health System CIO Media Inc. production, sponsored by LK. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your uh, participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Stephanie Hines, VP of the Peaks Region, well, VP and Peaks Region IT Lead at Intermountain Healthcare, Nick Zemanski, VP and CIO at Signature Healthcare, and Shaman Akhtar, Director of Customer Success for Hospitals and Health Systems with LK. And then we will do our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Lots of good stuff to cover today, and it's a very important topic affecting every single health system in the country. Um, Stephanie, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and role? Sure. Uh, so my role is, again, VP of Applications, and I am the lead for the Peaks Region for Intermountain Healthcare. Um, previously, Legacy SCL Health, um, which was uh, where I worked, uh, I had responsibility for all of the applications, but with our recent merger with Intermountain, we do have a regionalized approach. Our organization now is about 60,000 caregivers, and we have a presence, uh, of course, in the Peaks region, which is Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, and Kansas, and that's the area I'm responsible for. Uh, that also um, you know, involves our EPIC EHR uh, footprint. We have a Cerner footprint uh, in the Canyons region, which is Legacy Intermountain, uh, Utah and Idaho. And then we also have uh, a region within Nevada as well. So uh, large organization now, very excited to, to be all together as we you know, continue to embark uh, on the integration aspects of, of what we've got ahead of us. Very good. Thank you. Nick? Yep, I'm on the opposite side of uh, Stephanie, so I'm a small <laughs> community hospital. Um, we're about 220 beds um, in Brockton, and we're about uh, 30 to 40 minutes outside of Boston. Um, I'm the VP and the CIO, and our team here, probably all in is about, uh, you know, with the different departments, uh, probably around 70 to 80, but IT-wise, uh, we're about uh, 50 folks. Uh, we also have a medical group uh, that's uh, comprised of about 150 uh, physicians, and um uh, yeah, just handle the day-to-day -day and the strategic operations uh, as many VPs and CIOs do. Excellent. Thank you, Nick. Shaman? Hello. Uh, this, I'm, I'm Shaman Akhtar. Uh, I'm the Director of Customer Success with LK. LK is an organization that is uh, uniquely positioned for any data management strategy. We have several solutions out there in the world of uh, interoperability, archival solutions, so uh, hence my participation in this call today. So I'm really excited to be part of this. And my role primarily is to support all the sales executives in making sure that we have uh, right alignment, right, right demos ready, right presentations ready, and uh, be the subject matter expert in these areas. So thank you for having me on the call today. Excellent. All right. Looking forward to it. Uh, what are some of the reasons, Stephanie, we're going to start with you. What are some of the reasons health systems pursue application portfolio rationalization. How do you know when it's time to start and what are some of the benefits? 
Sure. Well, you know, in terms of the the start stop, I think this is a continuous process. It's not, um, you know, something that you you do and finish. Um, just the nature of the application portfolio is is dynamic. Uh, we, you know, are in an industry that has single digit margins, and it's really, you know, um, our responsibility to continue to look at ways to deliver value um, and decrease costs, you know, across the the application portfolio. So it, it's never really done. Uh, you know, the obvious reasons for doing this work obviously are to look for ways to reduce cost. Uh, I think, you know, uh, speaking for Intermountain, um, you know, when you're in the middle of merger and acquisition work, it's also, you know, very prevalent conversation to have as you look to create systemness uh, across uh, your organization. But I think, you know, there's also other benefits that, you know, maybe go unnoticed or they're not the not the top Top reasons we do the work, but, you know, continuing to rationalize and to constantly be taking a very, you know, critical look at, at your spend, um, you know, where you're investing across the, the application portfolio, I think also um, helps us to stay on top of what is best in the market. Um, you know, it can be very complacent if you've got, you know, a vendor that you're happy with to, you know, maybe not uh, look out into the market or, you know, constantly compare uh, opportunities that are out there. And by rationalizing, it really, you know, pushes that activity forward. Also too, I'll, I'll say, I think it keeps vendors on their toes, you know, and I certainly look at vendors as partners, um, but, you know, knowing that you're going to always be looking at your portfolio, looking at the market, understanding where you can continue to deliver, you know, a lot of value to your organization and look to reduce those costs keeps everyone honest and uh, pushing forward and, and, you know, just helps us not get, again, very complacent with what we're doing, only to find, you know, a year or two or five years down the road that, you know, we're not, um, and we're not excelling in the areas that we could be. That's uh, interesting. So just as a follow-up question, the way I always I had always thought of this working is uh, the organization decides to uh, get a new uh, application for a specific area. And then, okay, we're going to come off the old one, right? We've got a new one now, um, and we're going to come off the old one. So the rationalization is eventually getting rid of the old one. Mm -hmm. But you're saying it's it's sort of bigger than that. It has to do with just looking at the market and keeping an eye on what's out there. Um, so that's almost like... That's not generated by the business, that analysis, that's generated by IT. So tell me about that dynamic a little bit. I, I think it goes both ways. You know, I'll give you an example. If there is a new offering in the market that, you know, provides functionality or, you know, benefit that can help you displace two applications you have at a fraction of the cost that, you know, that may not be something that the business is necessarily looking for if they're happy with where they are. But again, it could be, uh, you know, something that provides value back to the organization. And certainly, uh, you know, with with pressure um, around reducing costs and continuing, you know, to, uh, you know, provide more at a, at a, you know, reduced price point. I think we all feel that responsibility, but it can come from both directions. Um, you know, IT, I think it's our responsibility to constantly be having the conversation with those that we work with about what is happening in the market, whether you're, you know, reviewing class, also looking at applications, maybe that 
one of your primary partners offers. And, you know, this is certainly the case for EHR applications. They may not be quite as far along as some of the best of breed or standalone niche applications that are out there. But constantly looking, having the conversation with those partners around where there are gaps and when those applications are going to be ready, that's a service that we provide. And then, you know, can reintroduce that concept or have that conversation with those that we support to let them know that, you know, the market has shifted, it has changed, it's time to maybe relook um, at, you know, an application that maybe previously wasn't mature, but is today. So, you know, it, it's a group effort. Um, I don't think the responsibility lies on any one person's shoulders. And if you're, you know, if you have a tight partnership and if IT is a strategic partner to the business, I think it's it's pretty easy to, to do that and, you know, to have mutual respect on both sides when uh, one group comes to the table with some new information. Great points. Great points. Um, Nick, over to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I would uh, echo everything that Stephanie said. That's the easy way out. <laughs> but I would also add in um, that there's a few other things, especially in the community hospital setting, uh, that this process helps with. So the consolidation of the applications is a big piece. So Stephanie talked about the cost that's uh, inherent in a very big uh, component, especially in a community hospital. Uh, but there's three other things that uh, do factor in when I think about this process as a, as a benefit. Uh, again, you have uh, the support is better because there's less systems out there. So if I have folks that are dedicated to that one system and they know that inside and out, that's going to work a lot better for our end users and or our patients uh, because that's just one application. We know it really well rather than knowing five somewhat okay. The other thing uh, is it simplifies everything, which, again, supports the our uh, it supports us giving uh, better support to end users, uh, but that simplicity also can um, be felt by the patients, right? So if you have two portals or three portals, they're going to say, well, I'm an outpatient or inpatient, which one do I go to, right? Uh, so having a unified platform in whatever setting or example uh, usually uh, lends itself to that type of benefit. And uh, I also think it allows you to be agile. So if I, if we need to make a decision to go to another vendor, because now one of the you know competitors has surpassed uh, you know their offering now that's what we currently have it's a lot easier to change that one over typically there's always outliers but typically it would be easier to change out one solution rather than going around to three different you know business owners saying okay i need you guys to get on board here's why and then start that process so it gives you a little bit of um, flexibility in that sense too so i would add those three components to what stephanie said that's a great point. And, and, and Sean, this is what Nick's talking about. This is a universal dynamic. This is, I would tell anybody, I've always believed this. This is a universal sort of element of being successful is doing less, right? If you focus down and you do less, you can be better at those things. If you're supporting 10 instead of 100, you could be really good at those things. You could provide, as Nick said, great support. Your support people are going to know those things in, inside and out. Um, so your thoughts? Um, yeah, and I, I think this is, I mean, I completely agree with Stephanie and, and Nick. Um, what I have seen in the industry in my 20, over 22 years of career is uh, typically this is not an ongoing uh, initiative. Typically, what I've seen, this happens at either a big EHR is being implemented. So if an if a organization is not mature in app rationalization, it typically is tr triggered by 
uh, an Epic install or a Cerner install, and that's when everyone gets together and they decide to do an APRAT program. Um, or as Stephanie mentioned, during an acquisition or a merger, this happens. Um, this is becomes a criteria of, okay, what's gonna be uh, decommissioned? What's gonna you know, go through the activity? But in some very rare organizations, I have seen this as a longstanding program, an APRAD program, which actually has a governance body that maintains there's uh, leadership people um, and go uh, governance uh, executive oversight where they are reviewing their portfolio literally on a quarterly, quarterly uh, uh, frequency. Um, which is rare, but um, what, in my experience, it's always triggered by uh, an enterprise install of an Epic or a Cerner system or an emergent and acquisition. But more mature organizations are starting to think this as a stand, long-standing program uh, like data governance is typically. So APRAT is becoming sort of this uh, long-term program that will continue and it'll, it'll, never, it'll never end. It'll, it's just a continuous effort that uh, we have to manage. One thing I, you know, one thing everyone understands is standardization of applications or standardization or reducing variation reduces in your processes, in your applications, reduces costs. This is known in the manufacturing industry. Right. I think that same reduction in variation is absolutely critical for our, for healthcare industry. It standardizes workflows uh, and also gets people uh, to use less application. So it benefits the entire organization. And I completely agree. It's not an IT-led initiative. It is a collaboration with operations and, and making sure that they are our equal partners and making sure that this happens uh, and is well-managed. Yeah, well, just as much as it shouldn't be led by IT is what Stephanie's saying, and you, you're saying IT can't be passive. You can't be not bringing these things to that. You've got to be productive now but there's that fear there's that fear of oh it can't lead it i it can't i i don't want to be ahead of the business i don't be the, i don't want to be the one that they say oh stephanie told us to 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 get rid of this application and now look right so it's it's there's some art there there's some nuance there there's some human to human relationship there but it has to be that balance it can't be you don't want to be out in front but you don't want to be passive because then they're going to say what is it doing they're not bringing me any any ideas? I have to do all this myself. Absolutely. So, all right. There's a lot there. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Next question. Um, Nick, we're going to start with you. Uh, talk about uh, some of the application portfolio rationalization work. And I like APRAT. I think that's a great uh, abbreviation to make that easier. Uh, so talk about some of the APRAT work you've been involved with. Uh, what were the goals and what processes did you identify as practices, the main technical challenges, and any approaches that you would advise staying away from? Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, um, wherever I'll, you want to jump start, in. I'll kind of start with the process because we're in the in the middle of it now. Um, and I keep harping on the, the community hospital aspect because uh, typically we're smaller in nature um, and, you know, have a little bit less uh, resources. But um, what's been very interesting to me in a learning experience is at what point can we start doing this, right? So I think we opened with, well, you know, when, did, when should this process start and when does it end? So Stephanie was right, it never ends. But when do you start if you don't have it going mm -hmm. on right now? Um, and to me, my experience has been you, you have a few 
you have a few opportunities to get this type of process started. One uh, is when contract renewals come up. And I think that's an obvious one, right? So why are we, why are we uh, you know, re- renewing this? We already have three of these, right? So we, I, I've had that here, and uh, that's led to good results in that consolidation effort uh, in saying, you know, I already have a dictation solution. We don't, what, what is it that you're trying to get out of this one that these other two don't have and then work your way back? Um, the bigger vision that we're starting to work on here to get this ball rolling is to stand up a, a PMO. And my vision with this is having that portfolio there and any request, so whether that's a renewal, capital request for a net new uh, solution or application or tool or anything, has to go through this PMO office where it's evaluated and then it kind of cross-references what the portfolio, would, what we would have there. And if they see that there's a duplicate, you then have to give your business case, why do we even entertain looking at this, you know, and what doesn't the current solution satisfy? So having that type of structure, at least in an organization of our size, I find it very, very helpful. Um, again, it gives it structure, and it also makes sure that people aren't purchasing one-off, uh, you know, applications or renewing one-off applications that maybe we don't even know about, which is even scarier from a security standpoint. <laughs> so um, I think that's a critical piece to, that I've learned uh, and I'm continuing to learn as we, we try to stand that up uh, here from scratch. But uh, the clear uh, objectives for doing that is what we've already touched upon, uh, all of us, and what we said, you know, the consolidation, standardization, uh, making sure also, you know, making sure other layers are in there that may typically have not been there. Um, and I'm speaking to the PMO piece, but as you reflect on what the portfolio already has, you now make sure that legal's involved. Are they okay with it? You make sure that security is involved. Are they okay with it? Um, and, and some of these things, when you stand this up, it's not some of them, but when you first stand this structure up, a lot of these applications never went through this rigorous process, right? So now you're also rationalizing, is it safe enough for us to continue using this from a security standpoint? Maybe it's not, maybe we have to look at something else. So, uh, I guess what I keep circling back to is it's important to have that structure in place, whether it's governance, as you said, Siobhan, or Stephanie, I know we'll probably get to what you guys use, uh, but I feel as though starting from scratch and getting a PMO up would really, really enforce that. So, uh, and getting that process rolling. Makes a lot of sense to me, Stephanie. Yeah. I mean, I think all of those things are, are great. And certainly, you know, depending on the size of your organization and the size of your portfolio, your, your approaches may, may tend to vary. Um, you know, I think, you know, one other thing just maybe to add to that and, you know, many of us think about this from more of a, a top level down, you know, type of a governance approach. I would just also say getting getting your doers, <laughs> getting your frontline people involved in this process is absolutely critical, um, both on the business side as well as the IT side. Uh, you know, the understanding of how these applications are used, um, what is happening in the day to day, and also the trust. So when we talk about, you know, having some of those crucial conversations around opportunities, uh, you know, getting people to move, particularly, you know, if they have an escalation of commitment around, you know, a particular application, or in some cases, they've developed, helped develop that application, either, you know, in-house or with a vendor, there, there tends to be a lot of emotional connection. Um, getting those folks on the front line involved, uh, where those relationships exist, there's trust, uh, you know, and, and, um, uh, again, just a really close understanding of the work, I think, is important to inform some of the PMO processes or governance processes where you're looking at um, those those opportunities. Um, you know, also, too, I would just say 
from a best practice point of view, and this probably touches a little bit more of the approaches you would advise staying away from, yeah. uh, really having a discussion around the value and creating a, a shared understanding of why this work is important is absolutely critical. I've seen some, you know, not good situations where, you know, a, a group or leaders may come in and say, we have to cut X percent off the top, or I want you to find X number of dollars, you know, in this process um, that feels, uh, that feels punitive. That's not really oriented around how do you continue to create again, that value that we've talked about um, freeing people up, letting them become deep experts uh, in a, in a finite number of systems versus trying to support across um, a highly varied portfolio. Those are things I think that are really important. If you have that, whatever structure you put in place, a PMO, a governance group, um, you know, your, your application teams, uh, you know, whatever your process is, it's gonna, it's gonna run assuming that your process is sized appropriately for your organization. Shelman? I think Stephanie and uh, Nick covered most of it. Uh, the part I think I would elaborate a little bit on is change management is key here um, because they're not, and I think Stephanie said it right, just uh, bringing the uh, leadership and the teams together and understanding how overall this is a shared benefit for the entire organization, not only from reducing expenditure, cost savings, offsetting costs from, from, from a large institution. Yep, you froze up on me. Um, and standardizing the processes. So those, that, when you, if you're going to do that, you want to make sure those get communicated and understands from the top to all the way to the, uh, to, to the bottom. And then that communication is so important. So I, I like to make sure that there's some change management team members uh, uh, involved in these discussions because they will really drive that communication and the change management process. Very good. Um, Nick, I want to follow up with you on something. You, you know, you, you mentioned a scenario where something's up for renewal. You have two of them and or we have three of them and you say, guys, I can't imagine why we need to. Now, remember, right, you're not the user, you're IT. So. <laughs> You may on the surface say, I can't imagine we need all three of these, but I would guarantee you that most of the time when you went to those constituencies who were using those three different applications, every one of them would be able to explain to you exactly why they could not give up the one that they were using, leaving you in a position to go, well, I don't know. I really think we need to go down to one. You're not going to be there as the CIO and go, you know what? Guys, I looked at what you wrote to me, your replies, and we're getting rid of these two. Have a nice day. Doesn't work that way, right? This, so this is why we have IT governance. So how does application rationalization dovetail with IT governance and empower, even if you're the driver, you don't want to ultimately be the decision maker of taking applications away from especially clinicians. So talk to me about that, please. Yeah, so we've actually had a scenario like that, and I alluded to it before with the um, dictation uh, applications. Right. We had quite a few uh, a few years ago. So essentially what we did is they were starting to come up for renewal, and we uh, brought together all the leadership and the end users that used each one of these applications. And what we try to do is make it as black and white as possible and say, I need you to build out a rubric. What does the solution need to do for you guys? What is it nice to have? you know, a need to have, and really this would be a, a complete gift if we were able to have it. And I need you guys to agree on the rubric 
and, and the requirements. And what was interesting is what came out of that is the group essentially, you know, listed out the same requirements that they all needed. And there wasn't anything too, too crazy that one of those solutions couldn't do. So then having them build what the requirements were got me out of the position of, of which would be wrong for me to determine what is best for them, right? So they told me what was good. We got the vendors to the table, kind of had a whole, you know, uh, evaluation uh, process, and they ultimately made that decision, which was the most powerful part. So Stephanie Shaman have already talked about that. It's critical to get them in there and not to seem like it's dictated to them. That's not my role. My role is just to give them the information and give them structure and, you know, and help implement it. So um, I, the, the boil-down answer would be, have the group determine what the requirements are and have it be as black and white as possible. But you do have to rely on having strong relationships with the folks uh, and they need to understand that you're being transparent with them. And again, you know, the purpose behind it. So um, that has been the approach that I've taken. Uh, and then when that doesn't work, I just blame the CFO and say, we need to cut costs. So, <laughs> <that's what. laughs> so, you know, so one thing I would add, yeah, one thing I would add to that that I am a really, really big fan of, and uh, you know, I, I am also a nurse, so I've had an opportunity to work on the the operations side as well. I'm a big fan of getting in the trenches um, with people, and I think in many cases, uh, you know, I'll say this about physicians and and nurses, we we sometimes tell people that uh, we want to drill, but really we want a hole. And when you get in the trenches with folks, particularly if you're in a situation where you have three of something and you have a, a, a contingent that is saying, you know, that that will not work for them. Or if you're comparing maybe something natively available within your EHR, you know, as compared to a, a niche solution, getting in the trenches and really flipping the conversation from what, what do you want in terms of features and functionality to what are you trying to accomplish? Because I think if you, you know, what gets missed, if you've got a really great analyst, <laughs> if they can take what I'm trying to accomplish and maybe how I accomplished it in another solution and help transform that approach. Because very rarely are you going to be able to, you know, completely reproduce, you know, the experience that someone has, uh, you know, in a, in a given application. But more often than not, you're able to help them create the outcome. So, you know, getting out there, um, you know, we've had cases where we sent, you know, analysts uh, out with those uh, folks to really, you know, deeply understand what they're trying to do um, in cases where we could provide use of an application. Maybe if we were trying to reduce, you know, from three to one, uh, the opportunity to get within that application and test drive it or, or try it out, creating, you know, any sort of a lab that would allow for them to go through those steps and really have a, a purposeful, deep conversation around what they're trying to do so that that analyst, you know, can talk through maybe other options or, you know, modifications to the process that would get that outcome. I found that to be probably way more successful than, you know, having conversations around features and functionality because that can get very esoteric. It's much better to just get in it and really have a discussion around this is how I make the sausage. Uh, and, you know, hopefully it might be a little bit of a different recipe, but, right. uh, you know, hopefully we can help them make one. Yeah, because you can't be in a position where they're just saying, but my green button's over here, and this is where it has to be, right? Because, well, the other one doesn't have a green button. I guess you get to keep what you're using. You can't be in that position. Yeah, and, you know, I would say as well, like with um, the comment about um, – you know, helping people with change management, you know, again, more often than not, when you talk about swapping out a solution or making a change, 
when folks are resistant to that, it's usually not about the system. It's about fear of what am I going to need to do differently? And am I going to be successful uh, in that change? And I think getting in the trenches and having those conversations uh, in a in a more purposeful way helps folks get comfortable. And also too, I've definitely, you know, ponied up folks to say, okay, we're gonna make this change. And, you know, that individual who is with you in that journey, you know, is gonna round with you or be with you for a few days as you make that transition. So again, you kind of have that, uh, the the safety button of of someone next to me. If I do get to a point where I'm trying to do something and I don't know how to accomplish it, uh, you know, I don't have to go through an arduous process to get help. I've got someone uh, at my elbow to assist me with that. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, so one, one, two points that I wanted to make in this area is that um, making sure you have champions. So if you're talking about clinical applications, uh, making sure you have a champion who's going to support this initiative, like a CMIO. Uh, let's say if it's a rev cycle system, maybe you have the VP of or of the, you know, who manages the ref cycle area, making sure you find the right champions to, uh, they understand their data, they understand what uh, compliance needs are from a data perspective. Uh, the biggest challenge is that what Stephanie and Nick mentioned is the emotional connection mm-hmm. to the application and the data that is in that application. Uh, the first question that comes when say I'm going to retire uh, or decommission this application and I'm going to come bring in this new one is how am I going to access my legacy data? So what I have typically, uh, you know, there is a sister or a parallel initiative that goes along with AppRat, which is typically called legacy data management. So as you are decommissioning th- systems, you want to make sure that you're really decommissioning them if there's data that's needed from a compliance perspective, from a patient safety, patient care perspective that needs to be moved from that old the system that you're going to decommission. That has to either, uh, well, there's various, uh, there's various flavors of this. Where do you take that data? How will they access that data? That becomes so important because um, if, if somebody takes my laptop today and says, Hey, I'm going to give you a new laptop and I'm just going to, you know, just don't worry about your old data. I, I'm going to like have a major panic attack. I have to, 20 years of experience and I have 20 years of data in here. I would lose all my data. That's the biggest concern of them, uh, losing their data and how will they access historical from a patient care perspective, from an AR rundown perspective in the revenue cycle world. So you have to have a parallel strategy around, what are we going to do with the systems that we decommission and how do we get that data either into the new system or into an archival solution? So those conversations are very, very critical at this, uh, during this process. Very good. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, Shaman, let's start with you. Talk about any specific app rat issues related to the following projects. EHR, uh, ERP is a big one. Uh, we're hearing more and more. I think we're Actually, um, going to be doing something uh, with LK on that in a in a couple of months. A webinar on that um, niche solutions being replaced by the main EHR vendors version of that application, which we talked about. And I think Stephanie, you mentioned the idea of continually going back to the users and saying, for example, oh, you know, Epic's module here is 
this is pretty good now. So maybe we can get rid of that that point solution we've been using, uh, which, of course, you know, you get a lot of pushback on because nobody wants to change from what they're using. And then you could have either the reverse scenario, which um, could happen, which is uh, I really, really need the special functionality in this niche application. And for clinical reasons, it's better. The, the other one is not ready for prime time. That's part of the core vendor. So you could have that as well. Um, so uh, let's start with Shaman, your thoughts here. So one of the key um, specific challenges that I have experienced, and I'm sure Nick and, and Stephanie might have a different perspective or the same perspective on this is uh, contract management. Contract management, where the contracts are, uh, organizations that are growing um, uh, or in acquisition mode, contracts can be uh, with IT. Sometimes contracts are in departments and it is a huge challenge to track everything down, to come up with a strategy around what is going to stay, what is going to go. So, and, and there is a cost component to it, right? So we have to really make sure that there is some inventory that is being managed that has all your application portfolio, the contract term dates, contract uh, agree, you know, what, what, uh, what is the annual maintenance cost? So to be able to have that conversation in a very productive way and say, okay, here's, here's the cost associated, here's the, con you know, here are how many uh, users are on this application. So that is one of the key things that I have struggled with in the past when I was uh, trying to gather this information. Uh, it's a huge challenge, uh, both in the EHR and the ERP side. Um, there are application rationalist uh, portfolio management solutions in the market that could be leveraged, but that's another another install. Uh, typically, I ended up doing it, you know, gathering the information when I was in consulting in an Excel document, working with IT, working with contract management, working with departments, gathering that information. From my perspective, that is a huge challenge, and uh, and it, it takes time to uh, to um, make everything align and get the data right so we can make the right decisions. And then, and then what you don't want is just a one minute static snapshot that it's beautiful. I got it. I spent six months. I have it. And within three weeks, it's a lot of it's obsolete, <laughs> right? And things have changed because no one's telling you, no one even knows you have this spreadsheet and no one's telling you, oh, you need to update this and that and the other thing. So um, there are some good solutions in the market. Yeah. ServiceNow is a good solution that I've seen organizations. Yeah. They have all their application portfolios in there with contract dates and annual maintenance costs and everything in there, the database information. So I think that could be a potential solution. But that that for me has been the biggest challenge in trying to get the information data into an information so that I can share this and say, okay, here's here's how we can benefit as an organization. Yep. Yep. Uh, Stephanie? Oh, let's uh, no, go ahead. That. Go ahead, Nick. We'll jump to you uh, first, then we'll go to Stephanie after that. Oh, I was trying to leave for Stephanie. I was just going to add on to what you said, <laughs> Anthony. If that spreadsheet is uh, becoming you know, obsolete after three months, that's the litmus test for what your process is, right? So if you don't have a structure in place uh, or some type of governments, whatever flavor you're going with, and that and that spreadsheet that you spent all that time working on is obsolete in three months, there's a problem. <laughs> you should know what's in there. You, you, there's so many considerations, a security, a contractual, a legal, 
all these different uh, components, if that is so outdated in a few months, I'm just sticking on that, but mm. that, that document should be pretty accurate at all times. If it's not, then to me, I would then look at the foundation and what's broken and what do we need to correct. Stephanie? Yeah, I mean, I think all of those are great points, and I, I certainly uh, feel like having a, an application portfolio management solution and approach is, is a really good thing to do, uh, particularly if you have a large one. But I'll say it again, you know, <laughs> it's only as good as you have people looking at it. And I think, to me, when I look at, uh, you know, successful um you know, suggestions, saves, ways to, and, and it's not even just displacing an application, it could be license management even, um, you know, and making sure that you've optimized what you've purchased and that you're getting the full value out of what you've purchased. Uh, I feel like, you know, the, the best outcomes have been when you get either your senior analysts or your frontline, you know, managers really involved in understanding the contracts, knowing where they are, knowing the dates, knowing what is in them. Um, you know, there's benefits on the vendor management side of that activity as well. But those are the folks who understand how the system is being used. They're the closest to it. And also usually the best uh, idea generators when maybe there is a better way, a way to optimize the contract or, Again, and building that trust with um, with the business, if there is a better alternative out there, um, you know, to to take a look at. I think you know, in terms of issues, and I'll I'll pull on ERP because I I did just complete that project here over the last year, um, of moving to uh, to uh, Oracle Cloud for the our organization Legacy SCL. Um, you know, when you have big projects like that and you're looking at, you know, rationalization opportunities, you're typically on a time frame. You know, you're looking to get that solution in. There are tremendous costs involved with that transition uh, and with the staff that you have uh, on board. Um, you know, either really factoring in application rationalization, cleaning up as much as you can before going into those initiatives, and then allotting for, you know, the right amount of time, or even in some cases, you know, if you need to uh, go ahead and make that conversion and then go back and revisit some things and continue to increment, um, you know, that, that those opportunities, that's an approach as well, but you really have to have a lot of discipline and rigor to go back. Um, you know, and, and if someone is holding on to something and doesn't want to let it go, um, having a good structured approach to really articulate the value of keeping that and being able to look at is there cost benefit uh, in, in retaining that application? And if so, what do we think it is? And in a year from now, two years from now, uh, did those assumptions hold? Did we actually see that value created? Uh, and, and if we didn't, I think that, you know, it creates an accountability on us as well as um, our partners in the business uh, to make good on, on what we think, um, you know, or, or in justifying that spend, but it also opens the door up if that value is not created or if those assumptions did not hold to organically revisit that conversation um, about, you know, potentially moving uh, to, to something else. We had um, an audience question about um, moving away from spreadsheets and what people are using. Uh, somebody mentioned ServiceNow. Yes, I did. Yeah. Anything else come to mind? Any other suggestions? We're leveraging ServiceNow as well. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Very good. Okay. I want to uh, do our Ask a Co-Panelist because I love hearing what our panelists are curious about and want feedback from each other. 
So let's do that right now. Uh, Shaman, I'm going to give you the opportunity first to ask your co-panelists a question. Okay. My question is, um, when did you, in, in your organization or in your career, became aware of APRAT? I'm asking this question because I was, uh, my role, uh, my experience was I was helping with uh, archival solutions and getting data into archival solutions. And when I was going through that journey, I started hearing about APRAT. So I was like, oh, this is interesting, which is actually a sister initiative or a parallel initiative. I'm kind of curious, as you came into your leadership roles, where what was the uh, what was the moment in your career where you thought, oh wow, this is something that we really need should be thinking about? Nick, why don't we start with you? I think I'm actually still on that journey, to be honest with you, especially as uh, we begin what we've been talking about with this uh, consolidation and rationalization, and uh, you know what data elements we need, what needs to be archived, where is it going? Um, so I would say honestly, Shaman, I'm, I'm learning on the fly here. <laughs> is the honest answer um, and trying to put a structure in place again as was the best way to move data to, you know, decommission, uh, you know, certain applications What and what methodology do you use? What do we need? So uh, I'm, I'm early in on getting in on the uh, official schooling uh, in that area. I mean, I think I always took a very broad approach and would say, uh, you know, as I first started in this role, what do we need to bring over? How long is it going to take? All this type of basic stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think in six months to a year from now, when we're done uh, migrating over some of our uh, legacy AR systems, I'll probably be more proficient in this area. So I will call you in six months from now, Shaman. Very good. Stephanie? <laughs> I, I would say... Um, for me, I probably just how I came up in my career, I, I started my career in comparative analytics and healthcare quality. So from, from the get-go, was really, uh, you know, schooled and held accountable for, you know, creating value and that really being, you know, the nexus of quality and cost. So I've always looked at, uh, you know, what, what we're doing in terms of spend, uh, the value that we're creating. And then also too, I think, you know, um, others hit on it, um, reducing that variation, you know, it does improve our quality. It does improve, um, you know, the, the cost function, uh, as a whole. So, you know, it, it's always been prevalent, um, you know, in my thought process, again, just, uh, with, with the nature of my initial work in my career. Uh, but I think, you know, as healthcare uh, margins have continued to get squeezed and certainly, you know, in the wake of, of things like COVID where we're trying to do as much as we can, um, you know, for, for less, um, it's always front of mind. Very good. Stephanie, do you have a question for your co-panelists? You know, I, I'm very curious, you know, as we talk about creating the case for, for change and getting folks involved, if you have some uh, really effective ways, you know, to initiate that conversation, um, you know, when you talk about money, or at least from my point of view, when you talk about uh, creating that value, reducing costs, um, it's it's like monopoly money sometimes to folks because it's, you know, coming out of a budget that they don't see and in many cases may not be necessarily accountable to speaking for if those dollars are held within the within the IT budgets. I have found having discussions like, you know, every dollar we spend in some form or fashion is 
coming out of the pocket of a patient, you know, tying it back. Do you find that there are things that you can say or, uh, or, you know, conversations that you have that really bring people back and create that connection uh, to, to the work and to the purpose of application rationalization? Shaman, let's start with you. So um, my approach, um, I'm going to show you a really brief experience. I was uh, doing an Epic implementation 10 years ago, and I was pushing this APRAD decommissioning program and legacy data management program. And the CIO really wasn't interested. He was like, I'm doing Epic. I have no time for this. Epic is a huge, everyone is busy with Epic. I can't even focus on decommissioning right now. I just requested for him, said, okay, just give me all the contracts that you have access to, and I will help you understand why you need this program. Let me prove this to you. Um, so um, collected everything, gathered all the data, gathered all the, and then in it, eventually I showed to him the, I call it cost offset, cost offset, uh, because as you're spending millions and millions of dollars of implementing an enterprise-wide system, there's a way to get some cost offset by decommissioning and, and getting this data into an archival solution. So my uh, that was one of the ways. The other piece that I really uh, would like to say is talk to your peers at the leadership level and show them the value of why this program is needed, especially with your CMIO, who is very, who understands where the data is and you know, what their needs are from a regulation perspective, your VP of revenue cycle, get those, get this, identify those stakeholders that will be the champions. And then once you win those champions over, then it's, it's just communication to the rest of the rest of the organization. Uh, so I, I always take the top-down approach in this initiative because nobody wants to take uh, get rid of their applications. So the CMI will be the champion for all the clinical applications, rev cycle applications will be managed by the VP of revenue cycle applications. So, so the key stakeholders and understanding them that will benefit those areas and setting up that governance from the beginning is, is the key to success uh, from my perspective. Excellent. Nick? Yeah, I, I'll just actually go over a quick process and Stephanie, you do this in some fashion. Um, but what I do here is I, I try to line it up right before um, the budget process and I go over what the, you know, in this case, the EMR has, what's the catalog, right? And what don't we have and what are we using instead of what they have? Um, and actually that they now are starting to draw back on that. And what I mean uh, by that statement is if last year I said, hey, we had this oncology module now that isn't that bad anymore, right? Or it's, it, uh, you know, grown and matured, uh, can we look at maybe replacing uh the legacy one, and and they say, oh yeah, I remember last year it couldn't do X Y Z. Can it do X Y Z this year now? Like, has it matured that that much? Um, and those discussions now naturally and organically start to happen because the process is in place. Uh, but th that's a very high level, uh, you know, overview of a process that I do. But it, it seems to be very uh, beneficial. And to what you were saying, Shaman, and I think we do this uh, this naturally in our roles. When you're going through that that catalog, everyone in that room cares about what you're saying for a very different reason. The CFO wants to know, is there a savings, right? The clinical folks, uh, leadership want to know, well, why would I get rid of that legacy system? No one's complaining that it doesn't work. Well, now your physicians won't have to log into three different systems to see the whole record, right? So you have to, the whole catering of the message 
uh, and understanding what they're trying to get out of it is critical as you do those type of exercises. But like I said, I'm sure uh, you guys are obviously doing that, but I find that to be very beneficial. Each year, go back and say, here's the menu. You know, uh, what, what do we want to do? And are we having any new issues that we you know, haven't spoke about since last year that maybe these can solve? So uh, this is the approach that I take. Very good. Nick, do you have a question for your co-panelists? Yes. So as I uh, alluded to, we're trying to spin up that, uh, you know, the PMO, which I hope will really drive, um, you know, a tighter portfolio. Um, I, if I could, Seth, I, uh, not to pick on you, but I would ask you, what would, um, <laughs> at what point, <laughs> yeah, not to put you on the hot seat, but to put you on the hot seat, um, like in your um, efforts to do the same type of uh, rationalization, did you have any key metrics or any, um, you know, objectives where you finally got those boxes checked and you said, okay, I, I think this process is, is pretty tight. I think obviously the less that we're surprised and we hear, oh, I didn't know we had that or I didn't know it's up for renewal, that's obviously a clear sign. But did you look to any other areas uh, to indicate that you were on the right track? You know, I think those are probably the big ones. And, you know, unfortunately, this is um, <laughs> this work is a slow grind and it's a constant chisel. I wish there was a one size that fits all on every scenario, but there's there's not. I For me, I think what's been successful is, again, really trying to I think the centralization processes with the PMO and with governance is very important. But I think it is equally important to decentralize and put some of that in the hands of, again, the frontline teams that are really working with those customers and those solutions and having them be, you know, responsible and involved. You know, when we first took a look at with, with legacy SCL, um, the, the portfolio, I mean, we, we did not have our application portfolio management functionality live in ServiceNow. So we, we did went old school with spreadsheet, pulled every application we had, you know, and in some cases there were things out there that folks, you know, weren't even um, necessarily uh, aware of. And I think it's worth saying too, as part of that process, we also um, were bringing a lot of things that had been managed at the site level, um, you know, into being managed corporately so there was a transition there as well but getting people you know really involved in and in just documenting what do I have when is that contract coming up for renewal does epic or Oracle or you know whatever major platform and we've designed uh, defined our major platforms do they have you know a competing solution have we looked at that just putting the rigor around the due diligence I think if you do that everything else so while it's not always easy uh, tends to have a, a much clearer path so uh, getting those folks involved um, and then being able to say we've evaluated everything we have. I mean, that, that's just your first step. We've sequenced everything mm -hmm. um, in terms of what's coming up or maybe sequencing it in terms of what is the spend in that area and where do we think, you know, we may have potential opportunity. But just getting a strategy around how you're going to tackle things, I think, is, is probably where the highest value is. And then it's always great, too, if you can create an opportunity um, when those opportunities are identified and realized to celebrate that. Um, you know, putting that out there and, and the return to the organization and creating that personal ownership and figuring out smarter ways to do things and recognizing people, even monetarily for that work, I think is really effective. Sherman, anything you um, The only thing I'll add is a quote from Robert Collier. Success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. So this is going to be uh, only successful if you have focus, discipline, and 
you know, one thing that has really worked for me is finding that, that a few folks or maybe that one person that has the passion and that has the, the um, drive to look at it and think about how am I going to help uh, this organization save costs, standardize workflows. Definitely those people in the team really helps, maybe either at the PMO level or at the executive level. Uh, I think that is so important to find the passion, passionate people about this work, because it really, you know, like sometimes if you look at it, uh, you know, who, everybody wants to talk about the new stuff, right? Everybody wants to be part of the new install, the new Epic install, the new uh, ERP solution installation, but nobody really wants to. So you have to really find a few people that are really thinking about this day in and out and looking out for the benefit and uh, for the whole organization. That would be my uh, uh, advice. You 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 pulled a nice quote there, Shaman. Uh, but Stephanie summed it up uh, as it, which I wrote down. Stephanie, it's a slow grind and a constant chisel. That's it. That's that's it, right? I mean, it's it's a process. It's not a project. It never ends. Um, Shaman, quick question: Who typically leads the legacy uh, ma- uh, legacy data management programs at Health Systems? Um, I've I've worked with uh, various folks. Um, typically. I have seen the CIO uh, sponsor as a sponsor. Uh, I've also seen the chief data um, officer because there's a component of uh, what will happen with the data, what will happen with the legacy data, legacy application. So sometimes it's the chief data um, officer and uh, it could potentially be your chief technology officer. Um, what I wanna make sure is that as you're discussing this, uh, your HIM team, HIM leadership, who understands the retention policy, uh, compliance, uh, quality leadership is involved too. But at the uh, at the sponsorship level, I've typically seen a CTO or CIO drive this. All right, very good. Uh, we're going to do what I call a lightning round uh, of a final bit of advice before I let everyone go. So, what's your uh, best piece of advice for someone who? Uh, you know, they, they haven't started. They know they know they've got way too many applications. They haven't dug into this yet. A million other things to do. Uh, but but as we've given them many compelling reasons why you just cannot ignore this, you gotta jump in. Um, Shaman, I think gave a great example of that initial step of getting the whole picture together, which is a lot of work, but that's what you need to get started. Um, just your final advice on maybe getting started, anything in addition to that. Um, Nick, let's start with you. Yeah, I think if you're not doing it today, you need to, and just take the plunge and figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I think you know ultimately need to start with is what applications do we have? Uh, there's a lot of tools, especially uh, that on the IT side, we're aware of what we could do to inventory, things like that. Um, you're not going to have the perfect solution. I don't think you're ever going to, uh, but if you don't have anything, you need to start. So, uh, And then I think our role, uh, as it is many times, is, it's imperative that we translate the importance of this to the rest of the leadership, to the rest of the organization, anyone that's going to be involved. We spoke about that a lot today. Our job is to translate again, why that's important and to know and have the angle uh, to why each person that we're speaking to, what they're going to take away from that. Why do they care? Um, so I would say that, like I said, to take the plunge, be methodical, uh, but you're never going to have the perfect solution. So don't wait for it. You know, you need to know what's out there. Uh, for a various uh, amount of reasons. So um, I would just say just get started. <laughs> Stephanie? 
you know, I would say there's lots of great approaches. There's lots of great models, you know, and certainly um, those programs are going to look different from organization to organization, just depending on your size and your overall opportunity. But the one thing that holds is that this work takes a village, whether you're a community hospital or you're a large integrated delivery network. And the, the one thing that I would say is really, really important, um, and, and this, you know, is especially important for IT leaders that are supporting getting the involvement of their teams um, in these conversations. It is critical to help folks understand not to take a no or an answer personally and to really develop empathy in the conversation because the relationships and the trust are the foundation of being able to do this work well. And when you're having some of those uh, crucial conversations, if you're, you know, dealing with a clinician, dealing with someone who's, uh, you know, uh, feels very strongly about, you know, a particular application or initiative, uh, you know, really taking the time to understand that and recognizing that sometimes there may be opportunities, but the timing isn't right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and having a little bit of flexibility there. If you can get your people prepared to deal with the people side of this work, you know, our folks are smart. Um, they understand their applications. They understand the market. That's the easy part. Um, so I would say don't, don't, you know, don't avoid those conversations or put that to the side. It's, it's the secret sauce. Very good. Shaman. The one point I would like to make is if, if you are currently not on this journey and it sounds very overwhelming, um, you can temporarily hire, make a small investment, uh, make a small investment in hiring maybe a contractor or a consultant who has done this before. And you know that initial spend can bring so much return on investment because I know how there's so many uh, initiatives already going on at healthcare organizations with acquisitions, um, and and everything that's going on in in the in their IT environment. So sometimes it's really hard to find people who's gonna who's gonna really focus on this and try to understand this. So even if it's a small thing, get somebody in there, let them do the initial analysis for two or three months, and come back and and share that with your team. That makes sense to me. I'll tell you, if I was, <laughs> I'd sure hire someone to come in and make that big spreadsheet we were talking about. So. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. Um, you will get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel. Great conversation today. Stephanie Hines, Nick Szymanski, Shaman Akhtar, and LK for sponsoring and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Hey, guys.